double check here before I have you turn. I just forgot my reference. There it goes. All right, 2 Corinthians 9. So we're going to deal with a, a topic in our series that we've started a few weeks ago on managing life God's way. Managing life God's way. Going to deal with a topic that is uh, sometimes uh, difficult. And uh, I know uh, that dealing with this topic, uh, there are some people who... Anytime a preacher brings up giving, he preaches on it all the time. He's just always hammering giving. All he wants is money. But if you never mention it, then you don't teach proper stewardship. You don't teach proper, proper giving. And so I really don't want to uh, come across the wrong way. Uh, I really want this to be a biblically balanced lesson. Uh, but we do have some lesson sheets. I think, Denny, we're um, getting those off the copier. If there's someone else who could help Denny, I know there's a lot of material here. But if there's a couple of men who could help Denny, and we'll pass out these lesson sheets, and we will look at managing life, and specifically this topic of giving. Giving. Being stewards of the resources that God has given us. I want to take some time, and I know there's a lot of material here, a lot of principles. I'll only be able to kind of do a fast overview 747 view, maybe, as we fly over this particular topic. But there are principles here of giving that are extremely important for us to understand. We often think of giving in the terms of our financial resources. And yes, that is an area of primary application. But really, giving has to do with our whole self has to do with us being a living sacrifice. It has to do with us committing our entire being to the Lord and to be stewards of the resources, yes, financial, material, but also of the time, the talents, and all of the abilities and energies that God gives us. So 2 Corinthians 9 and verse number 7. Appreciate the men passing out the... The lesson sheet, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. Every man, according, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I know that passage is, or this verse, is quoted quite often, particularly that last phrase, God loves a cheerful giver. And it's important that we understand uh, the, the context, but also that we understand that there is a purpose, as he purposeth in his heart, that God has worked, that he gives not grudgingly, not with a grievous spirit, or a dutiful spirit, or, oh, this is what I have to do, kind of attitude. Not of necessity, which has to do with that legalistic, dutiful, but out of a heart of cheerfulness, of happiness. Literally, that word cheerful has to do with hilarious, humorously. We are to give hilariously, not in a comedic sense, 
but with such joy that it is not painful. We're giving out of love, out of appreciation. You've known, I know my mom was a longtime caregiver for my dad. Uh, not as long, I know, as some people have had to be caregivers. But something that stuck with me after my dad passed away was when my mom said if he had suffered with cancer for another six months or a year, I would have been happy to be there alongside him, helping him. She said that wasn't a sacrifice for me. That just, that just really struck me. It was such a labor of love that it wasn't to her a sacrifice. It was just something that was her expected service out of love, out of devotion, out of commitment to her covenant to her God and to her husband, to my dad. Uh, Kelly's dad was the same way. Years of commit, committed uh, caregiving as Kelly's mom had uh, various health issues, and especially in those last few months. And you've known people like that, who they just have that care and that compassion and that commitment and that devotion. And to them, it's no great sacrifice. And that's the way it should be in really everything that God has given us, that all of our being is given in sacrificial service to the Lord out of devotion and not out of a grudging heart or a dutiful heart. So the Bible challenges us. The Bible challenges believers to joyfully experience the blessing of financial giving. Since we have experienced God's generous grace, that brings the joy of salvation. Everything belongs to him because we've been bought with a price. We deserve hell. If we got what we deserved, we'd all spend eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. But we can joyfully experience the blessing of financial giving because we have experienced God's generous grace in his salvation and the joy of salvation. So this challenge is not based on a legalistic, biblical, or church command, nor should we ignore this Bible challenge or biblical challenge for fear of offending a visitor or a young believer. And that's sometimes where the pressure comes to the teacher, the preacher. There are some places, some ministries, every time you turn around it seems like there's something else that they're asking money for. I remember as a Christian school principal, we were in a building program, and of course there was tuition, and there were various needs around the school, and I just despised wanting to walk around all the time with my hand out saying, can you give us something? And I had people that were coming to me various times, let's do this fundraiser, and let's do this, and I just... And there were times I just told people no just because I don't want to look like some beggar on the side of a street, always looking for something else. Uh, we did one big fundraiser in the fall. Um, we limited things because we just didn't want to look like we were constantly asking people to go underneath the cushions of their couch, <laughs> be digging out another uh, quarter for this or another fundraiser for that. And, um, it just it, it became a challenge sometimes, and I, I really tried to, to balance that and limit that. But there are some ministries, it's just constantly that they're asking for something. But at the same time, I, I don't want to be ever accused of constantly nagging and begging 
But at the same time, I don't want to neglect the necessity of teaching, especially young believers, especially uh, those who maybe have never been taught these principles of, of giving, of stewardship. But giving is to be the enthusiastic expression of our love for Christ, who gave his life for us that we might have eternal life. Again, cheerful giver, hilariously giving, enthusiastically giving. And we are giving out of a response because of God's love for us and sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. He gave his life for us that we might have eternal life. Surely we can give back a portion of the financial, material resources that he has given us. So before all of our other financial obligations, we give to Christ. In giving, we tangibly acknowledge that our Lord owns all our financial resources. As it sometimes is quoted from Psalms, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. So we, by giving, tangibly acknowledge that the Lord owns all of our financial resources. Such giving says that we are trusting God to provide all of our needs. By prioritizing our tithe and our offerings, by giving to Christ first and foremost, we are saying that we trust God to provide for all these other things. Now think about this. Psalm 96. <clears throat> We've been in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, but how about Psalm 96? This is an interesting psalm. <clears throat> We don't have time to read all 13 verses, but if we can just kind of uh, review them. Psalm 96, 1 and 2, what do we see the action that is predominant in verses 1 and 2? What action? Singing, exactly. So this is like an order of service for a worship service. Very similar to the pattern of our order of service in our uh, regular morning and evening services. We see singing, verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 through 6. Declare his glory. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For, the gods of the, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. What do we see in the pattern of verses 3 through 6, the theme of verses 3 through 6? We see Praise. We see singing, and then verses 3 through 6, we see praise. Verses 7 through 9, give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. We see the word give again in verse 8. We see worship in verse 9, which has to do again with giving. Verse number 10, say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth, the world also shall be established. So that actually enters into the, the last section. But verses 6 through 9, excuse me, 7 through 9, what seems to be the theme there? Worship or giving. Giving. Worship, again, is part of that. But singing, praising the Lord, giving, worship. I know some of this is going to overlap, but verses 10 through 13. Say among the, the, the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established, that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice, the earth be glad, the sea roar, the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful. The trees of the wood rejoice, verse 13, before the Lord, for he cometh, he cometh to judge the earth, judge the world with righteousness, and the people with his truth. What do we see in verses 10 through 13? If we go back to verse 10, say among the heathen, 
the Lord reigneth. So we see again worship. We see the exaltation of the Lord. And we see instruction. The world is, instruct is instructed that the Lord is great, that the Lord is good, that he is the creator, that he reigns over all. So yes, there's worship again that's involved here. And in a sense, the whole psalm is about worship. But we see singing, we see praise, we see giving, we see instruction, we see teaching. And so we see even, in a sense, an order of, of, of a worship service in Psalm 96. Ultimately, it is, of course, all about the audience of one, God, worshiping him. But what about Malachi 3? Let's go over to Malachi 3. I know I'm kind of moving through this quickly because there's a lot, a lot of material here, I realize. Malachi 3. In verses 8 through 12. Malachi 3 in verses 8 through 12. The Israelites in Malachi 3, 8 through 12, they were guilty of robbing God through failure to give their tithes and their offerings. Malachi 3 in verse number 8. They were guilty of robbing God of his rightful worship from those given stewardship of his resources. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Of all people who should be thankful and who should give back, it should be who? The people who have received the most from the Lord. His people. Those who have been given the stewardship of his resources. Isn't it a shame when we don't teach our children to say thank you to the people who offer them something, give them something, serve them in some way? Um, not that we've been the best at it, but we've tried to instruct our children. We've tried to teach them from a very young age to be thankful, to use proper manners, to say please and thank you, and to write thank you cards and sometimes that can be the hardest thing, and, and we don't always do it perfectly. None of us do, probably. But taking the time to do a handwritten thank you card, especially when it's like a graduation open house or something like that, and uh, there's 50 people who gave, and you have to do 50 thank you cards, but it's worth the time. It's, it's important. And at least uh, send a text, right, and say thank you. At least a phone call or a verbal uh, shake the hand or pat on the back or hug or whatever. But... When young people, and we see it in our culture, don't we? A, a real lack of gratitude. Uh, we, could get into we can get into tips. Um, there's all kinds of different areas, but it's a shame sometimes when we see young people and even adults. It's just They're not grateful. They're not thankful. We see that spirit, that attitude in retail, in various uh, services, uh, service industries. And sometimes you... The people that complain the most. What's the saying? The squeaky wheel gets the grease. But sometimes they're the ones who are the biggest gripers and complainers, and they're the least thankful. But they're the ones who are always griping about something, right? Uh, we need to be thankful people. They had robbed God of his rightful worship by not giving their tithes and offerings. Verses 9 and 10, they robbed God in not giving their tithes and offerings. They robbed God's people of his abundant outpouring of blessing upon their lives. Now, that blessing is not always financial. I realize that's one of the more tangible or obvious, but 
It's not always financial. It's not always material prosperity that God exercises his blessings with. I know we often think of that, and yes, there's an element of material blessings that is God's honor, God's favor, God's blessing. But they had robbed God and in turning and doing so, robbed God's people. Their sin, their lack of tithe and offerings was even affecting the nation. What if we as a church are not giving to the Lord's work, to the, the instruction of God's word, the preaching of God's word, to the missionaries, to the opportunities that God gives us to minister to our community? What, what if no one came and served a meal for a funeral? Never provided flowers, never sent a card, never. Aren't we robbing each other in not ministering? This is, I don't want to get on a, too much of a rabbit trail here, but this is one of the things that I just, I just long for with Christians who don't come to church, who don't get active in the body, with the body of Christ. Where, where are they ministering and serving and meeting these obligations to one another. Where? You get that at the Rotary Club? Now, there's social benefits to the Optimist Club and the Lions Club, and I don't know. (laughs) There's all these different groups, and there's a certain social benefit. But where do we have the privilege of ministering on a spiritual level? And we're going to talk about this some more in the, the morning service, so I don't this is just a commercial, 30-second commercial break for <laughs> advertisement for the morning message a little bit. But anyway, we rob each other of the blessings of God. We're, we're not faithful in our giving, but giving God his proper worship, his proper due, in our stewardship of our time, our energy, our resources. When we have, when we have within our hand the resources and the ability to do good to him, that know it to do good and do it not to him it is sin. Okay, Verse 11. They robbed God with their tithes and offerings, withholding their tithes and offerings, saying they couldn't afford to give. And it robbed victory from their grasp. Ye are cursed with the curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, say the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you, the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. How many times is there not spiritual victory, spiritual growth, spiritual overcoming because God's people are being stingy and downright miserly we know the Christmas Carol. <laughs> was, was Ebenezer Scrooge, can I use him as a little bit of an illustration? Was he not missing out on blessing? Was he not, I mean, I think about employers who don't treat their employees well. The Grinch who stole Christmas, okay. But when we're Grinchy, when we're stingy, not only do we miss out on the blessing that God wants to give to us in his mercy and his loving kindness, not only do we hold out or hold the blessing that God wants to pour out on others, but what about spiritual growth? 
What about the fact that God might be opening doors and overcoming in a person's life, but we're, because of our stinginess, our scroogeiness, our grinchiness, we're not, and maybe it's in our, our own family, where we've been more than willing to pay out, and I'm not trying to be overly condemning here when I say this, okay, but we're willing to pay out $500 or more for a Swifty concert, but we are in pain putting $5 in the offering plate or clicking on Tithely. But people, I, mean, I don't understand. How can Shohei Otani get a, five, what is it, $500 million contract in L.A. of all places? How do, how do people, when in high inflation and all, how do people have the money to keep paying for all these tickets? And I mean, we were looking even at the NBA All-Star game, All-Star game down in, in Indianapolis in a few weeks here. And it was like over $1,000 for nosebleed seats or something. It was crazy. It's like, how do people, how can people afford that? But it seems like God's work sometimes just struggles. Missionaries and ministries are just trying to inch along on a shoestring budget. And I know not all ministries are, are gospel preaching and are orthodox and separated. I understand that. Some don't uh, honor the Lord with their teaching, their doctrine, okay? And they don't, they don't need uh, to be... Uh, given, but where there's faithful gospel preaching ministries that are in need, missionaries that are gospel preaching, doing a great work for the Lord, and they're struggling. And you know, you wonder sometimes, right? Where are where are the Christians when they can forfeit all kinds of money and go into debt for entertainment and selfish things, but they can't give to the Lord's work? And then in verses 11 and 12, not giving, rob those around them of receiving Israel's testimony. Concerning God's blessing. If the church is gringy, grinchy and Scrooge and Ebenezer Scrooge and stingy, what does that say to the world? When God's people aren't taking and making the effort and the sacrifice to support the furtherance of God's kingdom, what kind of a testimony is that to a lost and dying world? when they can give money to all kinds of wicked causes, when they can raise money for the murder of innocent human lives and the mutilation of boys and girls for this fantasy, fake, transgender stuff and all the other wicked causes and social justice causes, when they can raise tons of money, what is the testimony of the church? Especially when there's scandal in the church and big ministry leaders driving around in, I don't know, ridiculously expensive cars and having a fleet of airplanes and million dollars of jewelry, and yet it seems like all they do is just promote more social gospel instead of the truth and preach a prosperity gospel and a word of faith. I mean, what? That's obviously a poor testimony, but when the world can promote so much wickedness and raise money for so much wickedness and God's people are, are stingy and scroogey, it affects testimony. Kelly? Yeah. 
Yeah. I guess I'm saying it more from the perspective of as we as believers, sometimes we will forfeit giving to the Lord's work and do more to advance the world's causes. But the world has more. The unsaved world seems to have more energy for their unrighteous causes than sometimes God's people do for righteous causes, for the gospel. We'll act like it is so painful to do anything of sacrifice materially, financially for the Lord's work, but the unsaved, they will fork over millions for corrupt politicians. And the Biden administration, I understand, and some of the tax code has made it harder even for philanthropic charitable giving. And it's, it's become more difficult. There's not as much of a tax break or whatever. But the unsaved, there's, so there's pushback on that, but the unsaved, they seem to have more energy and enthusiasm for their wicked causes than many believers do for righteous causes for the gospel. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Does that help a little bit? Yeah. Right. Right. But there is a testimony when there's lack of energy and enthusiasm for the Lord's work. Israel is rebuked for not having a testimony. Verse 12, And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightful some land, saith the Lord of hosts. Their sin and their wickedness, which includes their lack of tithes and offerings, is affecting their testimony to a lost and dying world. Dan? And I think we see that in the counter-argument as to when Christians are anti-abortion, which obviously we should be, but then the, the counter-argument is, but why aren't you adopting more children? So you only mm. care about mm. the life in the womb. Yeah. You only care about life. Why yeah. don't you care about the mothers and the children yeah. after they're born? And yeah. Which is a false argument. It's right. It's a false argument, right. But Yeah. To the world, yeah. And we're not out doing true. So true. Yeah. That's where reading that verse seems to suggest that the world does notice. They do. Absence, yes. Much of their presence. Yeah. So good points. So let's continue here. I know there's a lot of material here, so don't want to force us to drink out of a fire hydrant here. <laughs> but uh, let's continue in thinking about our motive. Our motive for giving should not be based on what we feel like giving after we have satisfied our own desires. <laughs> when will we ever feel like giving when we have so many wants? <laughs> I'm not saying always needs, but wants. And um, there's sometimes I hear things like, um, you know, cut, cut the cable, but then you find out that people have subscribed to so many different services. There was one lady I heard that said she had over $200 a month going out in subscription services, many for whom she didn't even use, but she had forgotten to cancel the subscription. You know, <laughs> When we don't prioritize giving to the Lord's work, when do we ever feel like with all the different wants and all the clamoring for all of the, uh, our finances, when will we ever give? That's a, that's a good point. Biblical obedience is a hallmark of the faithful steward. We should give out of a heart of gratitude and as a matter of obedience. As a matter of obedience. We are commanded to give. There's principles, there's a pattern. But we should be giving out of a heart of gratitude. It should be a hallmark of the faithful steward. God's word instructs us in giving. His grace enables us to give. And his love motivates us to give generously. 
So God's word clearly instructs us about giving. Principles, commands, patterns, promises. His grace enables us, and that love for God motivates us. What about offerings in the Bible? We could go back as early as Cain and Abel. Offerings. There was offerings by faith and obedience versus Cain's. Not of faith, disobedience. We could go to... Well, let's just go right ahead to Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. And specific principles from Abram's worship. This is a key passage. Genesis 14. We know that Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot was there. There had been an invasion. Lot was taken. Abram came, rescued Lot. And then there's Melchizedek. And there's giving. There's worship and there's giving. And there's a tithe that Abram gives. Genesis 14, verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was, with the, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. So we see some principles here. Abram belonged to God. Heaven and earth belonged to God. And that worship includes giving. There's the sacrifice of our lips, giving praise to the Lord. We sing. We come. Our presence is part of that sacrifice. There was some measure of sacrifice in getting out of bed on a cold, wet Sunday morning, coming here, dealing with some raindrops coming in and there's some measure of sacrifice, okay? But that, again, is our reasonable expected service. But then there's the giving of not just our time and our energies, but then there's the financial resources. Abram went out and put his life on the line, so to speak, rescuing Lot. He meets Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, Jesus. Melchizedek was a type of Christ. Hebrews explains that. We don't have time to go into all of the... Symbolism of Melchizedek. He was a real man, likely king of Salem, being king of Jerusalem. And he was priest of the Most High God. Abram gives him a tithe. So we see these principles. What was that tithe? It was one-tenth. Tithe means one-tenth. And it was from all. It was from the abundance, from the all. Not from the crumbs of the leftovers, right? It was from the gross, from the all. The first mention of tithe is in this context of worship. Of an expression of worship by Abraham to Melchizedek, preached the Most High God. And of course it was a, a thanksgiving, it was um, a giving a praise. So we see principles here. Five quick principles from this first mention of tithe. Are we familiar with the law of first mention? Anybody familiar with the law of first mention in the Bible? Someone give a quick synopsis. What is the law of first mention? First time a particular topic or theme or even word is mentioned. Is there something significant about that? Yeah. 
It sets the tone. It sets the standard. It lays the foundation. Uh, Marty, are, are foundations important? Just a little bit. Okay. <laughs> I pick on Marty because Marty deals with foundations all the time. And uh, uh, Chandler, Chandler works for, for Purdy when he's, when he's home. And uh, so I've got to learn a little bit about the construction industry and foundations. And Chandler would talk about the basement. Anyway, it, it's, you really have a new respect for foundations and basements. You realize just how important. Have you ever seen one of those foundation companies come out, have to try to fix a house that's the foundation is settling or whatever, and they have to bring in those special lifts or whatever. So foundational, law first mentioned, foundational to what the Bible often expands upon throughout the rest of Scripture. We see that here. God's ownership of everything is acknowledged. God's control over enemies is established. Tithing is an expression of worship of God for what he has done. The tenth is based on the full amount received, all, from the all, the gross. And giving is the response of a believer. We see all these in Abram's worship and giving to Melchizedek, that tithe. Questions or comments on that? Okay. So we move on to another passage, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, we know this passage well, especially for verses 5 and 6. But verses 1 through 10 lay out some themes. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace they shall add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel, and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Giving honors the Lord giving back a portion of what we have received from the Lord is to be done first. Honor the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruits of all thine increase. The preeminent, the best, the first, the first fruit sacrifices, offerings were to be pure, without blemish, and sacrificial. God promises blessing and provision for giving to him first. I know that's a quick look at that passage. Any questions or comments there? Notice that in, and this is backing up to Abram's example, but notice that the principles of giving found in Abram's worship occurred when? Before the law was given. Because some argue that tithes and offerings are only an Old Testament principle, and only an Old Testament command. It doesn't apply to the New Testament. It doesn't apply to the church. But if you think about it, Abram's worship, giving, tithe, was before the law was even given. So just an interesting note there. So that's a lot from the Old Testament. What about New Testament principles? Okay, The New Testament 
expands, interprets, explains. Okay, doesn't contradict. Okay, yes, we know Christ is the fulfillment of the law. We know we're not keepers of the ceremonial law, but the moral law remains fixed in the person of God himself. New Testament principles. Tithing is the starting point of obedient giving. Though we don't see a specific tithe command in the New Testament, we go back to the law first mentioned, Abram's before the law, and the principle is still there. Not that we have to be legalistic about it, but it should be a starting point of obedient giving for the believer today as a manager of God's resources. Sacrificial offerings should become an, should become an added expression of love for Christ and appreciation for his gracious blessings poured out on you. So we should have a regular faithful tithe, but then there's offerings that go above and beyond. We talk about missionaries, special guests, special offerings, the ladies' Bible study, for example. And can I just commend our church for our faithfulness? To God be the glory, but you are a very faithful giving church. Extremely faithful. And you're, you are to be commended for that. And to God be the glory for that. But like the ladies' Bible study gave above and beyond to Shalom Ministries. That's going to be a tremendous help to them with uh, specific needs that they have at this time with the war. And uh, certain outreach that is uh, jeopardized by uh, the war. So above and beyond... And there are special needs. Our church has been recently helping a family, helped out a couple of other people in our church with the deacons fund. That was above and beyond. Um, specific offerings sometimes that are taken. And uh, Kelly and I are extremely thankful for uh, the generosity uh, of, of our church. And uh, we thank the Lord for that. Acts 4, 34 and, or Acts 4, verses 34 and 35. What did the believers do, the early church do, in Acts 4. There were believers who now had traveled to the Middle East, to Israel proper. They got saved. And what did they do? Yeah, because there were people who weren't going to be going back home because now they're saved. They want to unite with the Jewish believers, the Christian community there in, in and around Jerusalem and Israel proper. And what did the early church do? They gave. Not Government redistribution of income. This was not government-mandated redistribution of income where it's shared misery. That's not what this was. This was sacrificial, willing giving of the church to meet the needs of the people who literally were giving up all to follow Christ, to unite with God's people, to be part of that local assembly or local assemblies. There in Israel. When they probably, for trusting Christ as their Savior, for following Him, not only were not going to be able to return, but we're going to have to start from scratch, brand new, uniting with a group of believers. And what did the believers do? They gave. There was no GoFundMe or these other online charities. They just gave and met their needs. What happened in Acts 5? God sends a warning shot, doesn't he? 
Ananias and Sapphira made a commitment, held back, lied about their giving, and God dealt with them. Early in the church, God sets a tone, sends a message. He breaks through in judgment, and Ananias and Sapphira are struck down. Hank? They went to heaven. Yeah, we understand they were probably believers, true believers, right. But they were struck down with clear a message that God was not going to tolerate their lying, and specifically in their, their giving, just to understand the context there. So when we give as a steward of God's resources, we are investing in the Lord's work, and we are contributing to the building of God's church. That's why it's important about that person's belief and doctrine and that ministry's faithfulness to the word of God and to the gospel. Okay? Those are all important, of course, in that investing and that contributing to the building of God's church. But when we give faithfully to faithful, orthodox, doctrinally sound and separated ministries, we are investing in the Lord's work. We are building God's church. We see that even the mission, with the missionaries that we faithfully support and the missionaries that we bring through and give above and beyond to. So patterns for giving. There are eight here. I'm just going to put them up on the screen. Uh, I think there's some blanks there maybe to fill in. But just quickly, as we're low on time, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse number 2. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse number 2. This passage helps us. Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, there's the Sabbath principle, the Sunday. Uh, now the church is meeting on Sunday. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. So we see giving is regular, first day of the week, universal, each of you. We could even say personal, <laughs> and, and we could even maybe adopt that as well. Corporate, to the church. This is a command given to the church, and storing up in store. Proportionate, equal sacrifice, not necessarily equal amount, but equal sacrifice. Other passages to help us with that, including Luke 21, the widow's might. She gave out of her abundance, really all she had. They gave, excuse me, the Pharisees gave out of their abundance, she gave all that she had. The idea of sacrifice, equal sacrifice, not equal amount. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, that we, uh, in the context of where we started, deals with that as well. Spiritual, giving is spiritual when done, obviously, with the right heart motive for the Lord, done cheerfully. So offerings, collections, gatherings. 3 John 7, they took nothing from the Gentiles. So this isn't, going out and having a raffle for the community to support some ministry. This isn't joining with some taxpayer-funded service to try to incorporate the taxpayer money. This isn't having a, um, like the Catholic Church down the road from where I grew up, where they would have a community, I don't know what it was called, some sort of festival for like three days, and then have a beer tent and a gambling tent, and they would have everybody come, and they would support the local parish. 
and you could come and you could gamble and you could drink and you could play raffle games and you could have your bingo and you could have other you know balloon popping games and throw rings on a bunch of milk bottles and <laughs> is that how we raise money for our church we got a missionary coming better go out and have a raffle <laughs> you know we need to build a building so we get with the taxpayer we get with the city the council and we try to drum up taxpayer money i wish i had time but we we dealt with this when vouchers became available in indiana as a christian school tied to a local church what were going to be the standards for vouchers how are we going to accept the money? Well, how was it going to be measured? What was it? I mean, we, we, Pastor Airwood and I had much wrangling over this. The AACS and the school association that we were part of, we, we made sure there were some specific principles. But I'm concerned. Are Christian schools on vouchers? Are they getting drunk on the government's money? I understand it's like a backpack, and the backpack, it's... Money in the backpack of the child going to the school. I get that. And there are certain, we had four particular principles before we ever accepted vouchers. But I get very concerned, having been on the inside and having seen some of the things. I get very concerned. Are we going to sell ourselves out? There are some Christian schools, they don't care about those four principles that we held to. They'd be happy to sell themselves out when it comes to transgender issues and other curriculum, orthodox, and other issues. They'd be willing to sell themselves out in order to keep the government money coming. Okay, So that's a whole big, <laughs> open up a can of worms probably with that one. But I remember struggling with that. Um, but we see in 3 John 7, took nothing from the Gentiles. The ministry was funded by God's people. Okay, I know there are some caveats for Christian education, maybe some ball teams, but we refused. We refused. When we built a gymnasium, we refused to go out and buy corporate sponsorships. I don't know how nice of a guy Tom Wood is. I don't know. I don't know anything about him. But what if Tom Wood is a crooked politician, but he can wrap our vehicles for $50,000 each and give support, and we put his name up, and then Tom Wood's a scoundrel. I don't know anything about it. I'm just saying, you know, what if that corporate is now known for, and now we got a big banner hanging for that corporate. You know what I'm saying? These are all the things that we were wrestling with. We're going to build a gym. We're going to do it with the Lord's work, Lord's giving, people giving, God's people giving. We're not going to just get, go out and buy corporate sponsorships. Okay? I know there's a fine line there sometimes, and I know I opened a can of worms, but we have to really be careful here. The ministry, the gospel, is it funded by the unsaved? Okay, I've even I've even battled with what if somebody says, hey, pastor, I played the lottery on Friday and I won three hundred billion dollars. I'd like to give a tithe to the church. (laughs) You know, I've even wrestled with that one. What do I do? What do I say? You know, I'm going to tell him, no, you don't give personally. I'm going to say don't give. Now, if he goes out and he does it on his own anonymously and I have no idea. But if he told me that on Friday and then all of a sudden our offering is. $300 $300 million on, on Sunday, you know. I've struggled with that. Honestly, I have. You know, there's people who try to control the purse strings of the, purse strings of the church by saying, well, we're a big money rollers here. We'll give to this or we won't give to that, and you make this decision based on my financial giving or not giving, right? Really have to be careful there. That's a whole 
different topic for another day, but spiritual, priority, purposeful, purposed in heart, cheerful. And then finally, I'll just put these up. Giving tithes and offerings expresses my acknowledgement of God's ownership and my trust in him. Is an act of sharing. I think I had a typo there. Giving is an act of sharing the Lord's supply with his servants. We are partners with those we give to. We're partners with the Kims, Shalom Ministries, Carlos Rubio. How many of us can go to the Amazon this week and share the gospel in those village churches and help those pastors? None of us can go there and do that. But Carlos Rubio can, and we're supporting him as he's going this week to the Amazon to share the gospel and support those local churches. It's incredible, the partnership and the blessings of doing that. Giving requires generosity, purpose, cheerfulness, sacrifice. Brings more joy than getting. More blessed to give than to receive. And giving is recognized by God. I know I went through that very quickly. Um, I know that's a lot of material there. Hopefully we can uh, digest this and process through this. I know there might be some other questions. Sorry, I didn't leave more time for that. But we're out of time. I'm going to close in prayer, and then we'll get ready for the service. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these truths, these principles. Help us, Lord, to live them out for your glory, by your grace. And help us, Lord, not to be stingy people, to be, but to be cheerful givers, as, Lord, we live in light of the great sacrifice that you made for us. And, Lord, help us to, in return, respond with devotion, love, and obedience and faithfulness in these areas, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for being here. We'll get ready for the service in about 15 minutes.